Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Gridiron Bliss Podcast, your weekly source for women's American football, insights, game recaps, and NFL News Weekly. Subscribe on Apple and iHeart. Welcome to the Great Iron Blitz, episode 408 in the house. We're going to have the Hall of Famer, Holly Custis, plus the salty one, Mackenzie Brooks, as we break down everything that happened in the NFL wildcard weekend, crazy weekend Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. We'll get some key reactions from all their teams, Holly's Niners, my Rams, and uh, also Mackenzie's Cowboys. So looking forward to that in a couple minutes here. We're also going to dive into the NFL divisional round in the last uh, 20 minutes or 15 minutes of the first hour. In the second hour, we have a huge second hour. WFA 2022 schedule, pro schedule came out. We're going to review that, go through it. We're also going to dive in back to Gridiron West as the season has continued. We've got about three weeks left in Gridiron West as the uh, playoffs start to take shape in Down Under. We're also going to dive into Texas Valley Sports Week 2, and um, figure out Spain as they got into week one. So everything at the hub at facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. That is the place to be. That is the best network on the planet covering women's American football, NFL, and college. So check it out. Go subscribe out there on our Apple podcast as well. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and on IG at Gridiron Beauties. And if you want are inclined to shop, you can go to our No Joke Football Shop powered by Zazzle.com. It's right there at the hub as well. Easy link if you're in the U.S., Canada, North America. Pretty cool. Under $25, you get some cool stuff. You can support the sport, support us, and keep our podcast going. Uh, as always, powered by monkeyknife5.com is the podcast. So check out Monkey Knife Fight. Use the code NJF, especially right now. Only a couple weeks left of the NFL season. Check it out. More or less is a great, a great platform. So if you are inclined, go to Monkey Night Fight, use the code NJF to get started today. All right, let's bring in the Hall of Famer in the house, which should be followed by the salty one, Mackenzie Brooks. Um, So, Holly, how's it going today? Uh, Niners, big victory in big Texas. Uh, What a a win. It's going good. Um, You know, considering – uh, how the Niners were playing, you know, maybe halfway through the season, I would have not expected us to be in this position. And yet here we are, you know. I really think um, that you have to give a lot of credit uh, to the Niners because there's been a lot of improvement over the back half of the season. The offensive line play has greatly improved. Uh, you know, we have a, a rookie defensive coordinator and DeMarco Ryan who – has gotten progressively better in how he handles his play calls. He gets the uh, his key guys and the right spots to be successful. That truly helps. Biggest one is the emergence of using Debo as a running back at times. If you combine all three of those, you know we're in a much better place than we were a month or so ago. And so going into this game against the Cowboys, you know, the Cowboys offense has played really well uh, this regular season. Um, And I was just hoping, you know, uh, for a good game. And lo and behold, we came out on fire. 
uh, you know, the offense, offensive line and the defensive line, I think, did a really good job, especially early in this game. Uh, even Jimmy was playing well in the first half. And, you know, as we were talking about uh, Oscar, I had this moment, and I was telling my wife maybe like in the early third quarter, and things were going really good. And I was like, wow, like Jimmy's playing really good today. And I was like, wait. And you jinxed the usually guy. This means something. You <laughs> usually, this, <laughs> usually this means something is going to happen now. And uh, because, you know, Jimmy is such a nice guy, it's hard to hate on him as a person. And he's not a bad quarterback. He just has this thing about him that it's like he, he has a hard time playing a full, clean game. He's usually good for one or two uh, decisions where you're just like pulling your hair out because you're like, why? So, you know, he missed the wide open Brandon Ayuk, which if he had hit that, it might have scored or at least gotten them into field goal range. It would have been a big play. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that would have been more points. Then the next series, he throws an, uh, an interception. And then I'm like, oh, no. And then, you know, we get deeper into the game. And, you know, uh, the Cowboys are having a lot of issues of their own, a lot of penalties, a lot of unforced errors, a lot of pre-snap issues, and they're having their own issues. But at the end of the game, you know, the Niners have the ball, and it's fourth in, like, inches. Everyone in the stadium knows it's going to be a quarterback sneak. And sure enough, it is. But Jimmy, I think, got too excited and he snapped the ball before his uh, lineman was set, and it was a false start. So that gave the Cowboys the window of opportunity. Uh, you know, so for me, you know, the crazy sequence at the end is kind of unfortunate because, you know, like you want to win, but it's kind of a weird way to win. We shouldn't have been in that spot to begin with, you know. Um, and then the Cowboys' decision to, to run for it, was definitely rolling the dice like that. Like I get what they were trying to do, but there's a huge risk because you have no timeouts. There's so much that can go wrong in that situation that I don't think I would have made that decision. I get why they were doing it, but I don't think I would have made that just because the the chances of something going wrong and not having a timeout is tremendous. Then on top of making that really risky decision, they didn't execute it well. Zach got really excited, tried to run for extra yardage. That equals more time loss. Then I think he got extra excited and forgot that the uh, umpire needs to come and set the ball. Like, Dak can't just hand it to a center and go. Because theoretically, what if Dak is on the wrong spot? You have to wait for the umpire to come and set it. And so I've been listening to people talk about it, you know, throughout the last couple of days. And so, uh, I heard this on the radio, I think, yesterday. It's a valid point. A lot of these teams practice these two-minute drill situations over and over and over again. But usually it's the receivers or the running backs or even sometimes the tight ends that are getting the ball at the end of the play. So they're taught as soon as the play is done, you get up and you go find that guy that's going to spot the ball and you give it to him because that is how you get the next play started, right? So these guys are programmed to do that. But I think it was Michael Vick that was saying, but we never ran quarterback sneak in those situations. So I think Vick was kind of alluding, well, maybe Dak is just not thinking clearly because this is not something they actually practice, the quarterback sneak on a two-minute drill. But whatever the case was, he kind of had, you know, um, 
I don't know, a brain freeze type of moment and tried to grab the ball. And then I think he realized he made a mistake. And then he tried to get out of the way, but then the ref bumped into him. And it was this whole chaotic, crazy that ended up being they didn't have enough time. And so, you know, if you're a Cowboys fan, I get it. That's that's a sucky way to end the season. I totally understand. Um, you know, but as a Niners fan, I'm like, hey, as long as we win, that's what matters. We're going to win, and we're going to go to the next week. I know, but if you're a if you're a Cowboys fan, you're salty right now. <laughs> a lot of saltiness. Of course you are. I, uh, I get it. The salty one is in the house. And uh, uh, Mackenzie, shocked that this happened? Or uh, as Holly was saying here, they should have known better at this at that point, you know, given the time that they had left and all that? Hell no. What? All right, look, let's just – I'm going to be realistic, and then I'm going to be a fan. Realistically, you can't leave it up to the referees and mistakes. You have to play better the whole damn game. You have to play consistently the whole game. That's Dallas's problem. Dallas has some weird, like, EPSN, like, telepathy thing where they suck in the first half and then third, fourth quarter come around and they look like a freaking Super Bowl team. So that loss is literally on the team. They didn't play well enough the first half. That's why they lost. Second reason, secondly, I get that the, the the referee has to place the ball. That's I mean everybody knows that. But not twice in the game does the referee bump into the players. That's impeding. That's impeding the flow of the game. If the backside judge can't get to the ball, that's what line judge is for. That's what your white cap is for. Any one of those 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 refs can touch the ball and spot the ball. That's what we have those positions for. If I'm Dallas, I'm not running a QB sneak, but I understand why, because there was no passing lanes open and I got to try to get a first down. If he had mm, six seconds left and ran, you know, ran the, uh, ran the QB sneak, I can understand. There was only like three or four seconds left and no timeouts, but there, there. In reality, there should have been one. There should have been either one untimed down or three seconds left on the clock. That didn't happen. Now it's a giant controversy. It's fine. Um, and I'm not even mad that the 49ers won. Honestly, it was a good game. It was a classic. Like, and I, I can't be mad. Like, but I'm also a realistic Dallas fan, and I don't think that every year is Dallas's damn year. Like, I don't. That's just, I'm not that fan. Most. Fan. Most Dallas fans make Dallas fans like me look stupid. And it's annoying. Um, with that being said, just like Holly was saying before I hopped, you, as a tight end, you are trained to you know, hand hand a referee the ball so you can get the next spot. That's absolutely right. But just like I said, Dallas has to play consistently the whole damn game. Mac, do you feel like uh, McCarthy's gone at this point with all this frustration, especially, you know, uh, the way they finished here? I mean, do you feel like they're going to make a coaching change? Or is it uh, McCarthy's issue because that's similar to what he had in uh, Green Bay in the past? I'm going to say McCarthy is at fault because he's essentially the one who, who um, he's the one who, you know, gives the nod to pretty much everything, defensive schemes, offensive schemes, what they're going to, you know, what his players are going to be running for that, for that game. Now, do I think he's going to get fired? Probably not, because one, the past two seasons he's been there, Dallas has had a better record than the last two seasons that Jason Garrett was the head coach. Number two, 
the offense the offense itself is just flowing better with him overseeing things with um you know, with, with uh, Kellen Moore. Now, realistically, should he get fired? Is there a possibility? Yes, because we all know how Jerry Jones freaking operates. Um, with that being said, I personally don't think he's going to get fired. Uh, I think he may be on be put on notice. I think he may be a little bit in a hot seat if Dallas doesn't improve, doesn't continue to improve on what they have been the past season or two. Uh, I can guarantee you that he's probably going to be on the hot seat for sure. Uh, but I don't think he's going to get fired. However, I'm not going to be shocked if he gets fired. Um, not at all, because like I said, we all know how wacko and up and down Jerry Jones is. And that's not a bad thing. Jerry Jones just has standards for his team. And him, just like anybody else in the Dallas organization, is, started, is tired of seeing the one and done. Last year we didn't do it. The year before we did it and was still one and done. Dallas has have this strange one and done curse, and it's just it keeps building every year. I mean, and we almost we almost literally almost snapped that curse this season, but almost doesn't do it. You got to get the win. Well, it it was just unfortunate that the you know that that mishap at the end and the you know uh, that whole thing happened. So the Dallas gets eliminated. The Niners are moving on uh, to Green Bay at this point. Um, Holly, if you're a Bengals fan right now, you are like, you've just won the Super Bowl, right? Like these Bengals fans are like putting out videos and, and on TikTok and everywhere else and on all social media and, and literally, uh, they haven't proved in anything yet, but I just want to give them their moment, I guess. Yeah. You know, the Bengals have had, um, a tough run, you know, the last couple of decades here and it, I really think you got to let them kind of have their moment. To be fair, though, I feel like when I was watching that game, I really felt like the Raiders were emotionally spent from last week against the Chargers. They just didn't seem there. Like, they were playing, and I don't think the effort was terrible, but it just felt like emotionally what they needed to win this game against the Bengals, they didn't have that extra gear in their tank. And I think the Bengals just felt, like, comfortable and excited. I really think it helped a lot that this was at Cincinnati. Um, so they felt more comfortable in front of their home fans. Um, I think this was a really good, really good win for them. Um, you know, I think going into the draft, like a lot of other people, I thought they should have taken – an offensive tackle instead of uh, Chase, but, you know, what do we know? Because apparently this has really worked out well for them. They still have line issues, but the Burrow-Chase connection, you can't deny that. that that's It's just ridiculous. You know, they, they work so well together. Um, and so I think this is a really good moment for Cincinnati. I don't think they're quite ready for a Super Bowl run. They still have some some issues that they need to work out, but this is a really good start. And I think if you're a Bengals fan, this is just gravy, you know, going forward because you know your window is just starting with this young tandem. And so, you know, I think they should enjoy it and then focus on on next week because they still have another game to play. All right, Mackenzie, if you're the Raiders, you are literally a mess right now. You just fired Mayock, uh, the transition with the Gruden, uh, all this mess, and you got a great win against a rival in Week 18. You come in here, and like Holly says, didn't really play up to your potential. And is this transition for uh, for Las Vegas now officially? 
I mean, you kind of have to consider it a transition, in all honesty. Like, you, you don't just go through a whole season having, for, you know, first the situation with Henry Ruggs. Then you have the John Gruden issue. And now, you you know, you're now in a situation where you have, you know, you don't have a top receiver, you don't have your head coach, and the person who was your head coach or interim head coach uh, more than likely ain't going to be there next season, you know, due to whether they decide to keep him there in that head coaching position or he finds something else or they, you know, find somebody else to take that head coaching spot. You kind of have to consider it a transition. Uh, is it a fun one? No. No transition with negativity is fun, but you also have to learn to adjust. Like, you know, you have to learn to adapt. That, and that, that's what some people on, on on these teams don't understand. It's like, okay, you can go through a mishap or a screw up or something, but it's all about how you adjust to it. It's not about the actual transition itself. It's how you adjust through the transition. So I think if I'm Derek Carr, you know, I'm kind of at this point, and it's, I don't want to call it rebuilding per se, because that's that's not what it it's not that's not what it is. The Raiders have rebuilt themselves just by being relocate re, you know being relocated to Vegas, you know getting a couple of the top draft picks the past two or three seasons. So they're rebuilding as far as that aspect, but as far as like the front office and the administration, they're definitely in that rebuild transformation transition phase that we that we all you know we don't like the unknown as humans. So that's kind of where they're sitting with that uncomfortability as far as what's the next step, who's going to, you know, who's going to be where, who's going to do what. And, Holly, to the, to the Raiders, you know, I mean, it's just a, a bad, fortunate year for them that they all these off-the-field issues came up, you know, uh, Gruden's situation, Mayock's gone. I, I mean, it's just a sort of a clean slate in a way, and I, I guess it's a nice way in a way to start your second year in Las Vegas. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. If you look at it as a Raider fan, you know, I got a, a couple friends. They were just totally just, you know, kind of disappointed how it, everything ended. You know, they were they had some high hopes that they were going to go deep here. But well, I think you, um, you have to get the players themselves credit because I feel like the players that are left on the scene, when you have a year like that, it's tough. You got to kind of – have the leadership in your locker room um, that's strong enough to kind of lead you through all the crazy. And, you know, they're not, um, like Max said, they're not rebuilding necessarily uh, on the field. You still have Carr. You still have Jacobs, who I think is one of the best running backs in the game when he's healthy. And you still have Waller, who's one of the best tight ends. You still have talent. Um, I just think that they, they're lacking leadership right now. Nobody... Um, you have the, the leaders on the on the team as far as the players go, but you need a captain of the ship to lead the ship, and there's no captain right now. And so the players themselves have been doing the best they can to kind of, like, improvise and do what they can, and I think they've actually done pretty well in that. But I think this is more about an administrative and coaching front office situation type of transition. And if you're a Raiders fan, you know, you have to feel like, wow, we went through a lot this year. But with every change comes opportunity, and, you know, who knows? Maybe they actually make really good decisions, and they put better people in place in those leadership roles. And now you don't really have to start over on the field because you still have a lot of talent left. Now maybe it's not a 
uh, rebuild. Maybe it's kind of a retooling situation. Um, so even though they lost to the Bengals, I think they have nothing to really hang, hang their heads about. I just felt like when you're watching that game energy-wise, you could just see that they just didn't have enough. And I think the Chargers kind of took it out of them. And that, that happens. So, you know, if you're a Raiders fan, hang on. I feel like I feel like next year, you know, hopefully if they make good decisions up top, uh, that you'll you'll have so you'll have something to work with. Mac, if you're in New England right now, uh it's not a panic mode yet, but at the same time it's been two years, you got Newton to kinda of, you know, put the put the comfort zone for Mac Jones. You go into this uh, Buffalo scene here and if you're Belichick I don't really think it's phasing him. I think it's just it's it's another growth year. Uh, he got he got to the playoffs with the with uh, Cam. He got to the playoffs with Jones. If you're New England, I mean, I don't think there's a panic button here on any in any situation, right? Oh, you know, if I'm Bill Belichick and those New England Patriots, I'm pretty stoked about the season we had. Like uh, you pick up Mac Jones, you know, first round number ten draft pick. Uh, and he beats out Cam Newton for that starting spot as a rookie and takes you to the playoffs his first – basically basically his freshman year in the NFL. You know, you, you – at this point, if I'm, if I'm the Patriots, I'm building off of that. What I am doing, however, to improve said chances for next season, whether it's playoff chances, whether it's just better offensive efficiency, I'm looking for a veteran – a couple veteran skill players. You know, I'm looking for a Julian Edelman type. I'm looking to see if I can, you know, maybe convince him to come back for another year or two. I'm I'm looking at somebody like, and not necessarily Gronk himself, but a Gronk type of player who's played for the team before, has been to the Super Bowl in the playoffs with the same type of offense. And if I'm Mac Jones, I'm pretty damn proud of myself. You know, I I took one of the best franchises in NFL history to the playoffs as as a rookie Fresh out, of, fresh off of a national championship win, for in college, and comes in and, and almost you know makes it to the second round of playoffs as as a rookie. Like that's not that's not nothing to snuff about. That's not nothing to turn your head about. Um, so I, I'm not gonna say it's panic mode. You know, two years two years isn't that bad of a drought per se. Um, it's not. Is it typical for the Patriots organization? Absolutely not. Um, but you also have to realize who they lost to. You know, two years ago. You have to you have to take in consideration those key pieces to that high powered offense they were running up there. And uh, Holly, to to uh, you know Belichick, I think is going to just stay the course. He knows how to rebuild. He knows how to put the pieces together. If you're the Bills, Holly, uh, second straight year you get the AFC title. Um, you know they're they're playing really good ball right now, uh, beating Belichick in the postseason. You know, and more of a a great thing than the regular season. But if you're Josh Allen right now, I mean, you got to feel good right now uh, getting, getting into that situation where, you know, you take care of one of your rivals and you're owning this division. And I've been told on Twitter, this is the real New York team. You can screw the rest of the other two teams. <laughs> I, You know what? Like this game was an interesting one because, you know, on, on the Patriots side, I feel like, Mac Jones kind of ended up being where about I thought he would be. And we kind of saw, in my opinion, it, it felt like throughout the year that Mac Jones wants to throw deep and then Belichick's like, no, 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 short throws, save your little box, this is what you're good at, 
And then we saw when they were behind, that Jones trying to throw deep, and it was just terrible, right? So I'm not surprised about Matt Jones on the Patriots' side. I'm surprised about the Patriots' defense. The Bills just destroyed them, and that's not normal for a Belichick defense. And they've actually not played, you know, terribly uh, this season, so I was more shocked about the state of the Patriots' defense because I figured the Bills were going to score. That's who they are. They're built to put up points. That's kind of their identity, right? And so I figured there would be points on the Bills' side, but I didn't know that they would score every time they touched the ball and put up seven points and Josh that Allen would have insane. five touchdowns. I was and like it totally just, there was something there was something about it that I think if you're a Patriots fan, you have to be a little concerned because it's not just that you lost; it's how you lost. But there was something missing on that defense that uh, Belichick's going to have to address. On the Bills' side, yes, you're running high. This is great. And you could tell because they even put up points late that they're trying to rub this in. They've been under the Patriots' thumb, you know, for years, really. And they they were trying to take every ounce of this game because I think it was kind of uh, a point of vindication for them. Uh, but I think if you're the Bills, you have to be careful. It's good to be confident going forward. But you're going in against the Chiefs. You can't get overconfident and think that you can do the same thing to them, right? So I think if you're the Bills, you're excited, you're ecstatic, but you got to take it one game at a time. And uh, so we'll see what they do uh, next week, but definitely a good starting point for them. Hey, Mac, uh, nobody really gave Pittsburgh a chance. Um, they, everybody just was on the Chiefs' bandwagon, and why not? Uh, Tariq Hill was coming back, and it looked like everything was dialed. If you're Kansas City, the stretch that you're going on right now, this is pretty pretty nice. So now it's a matter of, like, just keeping it going. You know, the Steelers kind of had a rough season, uh, more abnormal than what we're used to seeing. And I think part of that has to do with Big Ben. I mean, Big Ben is one of the oldest quarterbacks in the league. Um, he's not obviously he's not horrible. You know he has a Super Bowl or two. He he's got longevity. Um, but ever since he had that elbow surgery, uh, you know it just it's kind of been up and down, rocky, and just slowly digressing from there. Um, I think, and I think when they get some newer newer pieces in there, um, I think they'll go a little bit further. I don't. I mean, it's not quite their time to go back to the steel curtain and such that they were, um, but they're getting there. Uh, and just like you got, just like you, just like we've said before on the podcast, is that you know it, it takes consistency to build on a legacy. It takes consistency to get to a repetitive place as an you know, NFL team, you know, women's team, and, and to a national championship type of team. And unfortunately, the Steelers haven't had that for a while. Um, and some people want to blame Mike Tomlin. You know, some people want to blame Big Ben. You can't I think blame him on at this Tomlin. Point. I mean, he's had so much good success. I, I mean, exactly. I, I doubt that. I could not do that to the guy. You know what I mean? He's actually had so much good I'm success. Not, I'm not one. I'm not one. I'm not one of those people who's blaming Tomlin. But unfortunately, he is. He is a factor that people use, and I'm just like, how, like how. 
you know, you, it, it just seems to be that, like, constantly year after year, he's, he, he's had winning seasons. They've not been great winning seasons, but he's had winning seasons. You know, record-breaking seasons, um, statistical, just the whole nine. And it's just, well, you got to take a, you know, you got to take a step back and kind of look at what they've had and what they've gained and what they've lost and what they're trying to replace. Mac, transition here for them is a key will be, obviously, the offense. Uh, Harris is not as good as any back that they've had in the past. Now you take away Big Ben. So there's a, there's a lot of question marks in the draft and who they're going to pick up and who they're going to bring in. So I have confidence in Tom in Tomlin that he will do the right thing and they'll get them back to some sort of you know respectability, which they, they, they already are. But, I mean, this is not like the Raiders situation, right? This is a totally different mindset. It's just a draft mode now. Oh boy. <laughs> uh I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna go out on the limb and say that uh Najee Harris isn't as good as any back that they've had. I can't say that because this is only his I believe only his second season. Um we haven't really had a chance to see what he can do. Um and that's I mean, partly his fault or partly not. You know, it it could be But the only thing the only the point I'm making point. is that that Tomlin doesn't have to revamp the whole offense. That's what I'm saying. It's just a it's just a matter of finding a, a suitable quarterback to fit that offense because there's weapons there. Fact, but you also cool. did state that Najee Harris wasn't as good as any back that they've had, which is incorrect. And I'm just stating that they have to have no. What I'm those saying is, types of players could have been better this year than uh, than any of the backs that they've had in the past. That's what I'm saying. So he's still young. What I'm saying is, he, you know, in, in that sense. But you also have to take into consideration, like you said, uh, uh, Ben Ben regressing. So that's also was a factor. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of offensively on on their end. They 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 could have done better, but they didn't. So uh, of course Harris is talented. That's you know, not I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is it's kind of like a revamp of the offense at this point. Um, Holly and the Chiefs. I mean, I, I I guess they're dialed. I mean, they look good. Uh, Kelsey looked good. Uh, Hill looked good. Uh, even Williams. So and so at, at this point, I, I think they're you know they're either too high and hopefully they don't come down real fast next next round here. But I mean they 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 went in there uh, you know just taking care of business. Yeah, this I think this game is kind of comparable to me um, to the Bills and Patriots game a little bit. You know the the Chiefs just did whatever they wanted to on offense and then. I feel like the Steelers, you know, their offense was really just stale in the first half, especially. It just didn't feel like they they had it. And I feel like, you know, like what uh, Matt would say, Najee Harris, I think, is their their future go-to back. Like, he's really dynamic. I just feel like Big Ben didn't have didn't have enough. You know, he's kind of he kind of ran out of gas a little bit. You know. And I feel like next year is going to be a big deal for the Steelers because they're going to have to refine their identity. That's a way bigger deal, I think, or a transition than, than the Raiders release on the field. Um, mm-hmm. But going back to the Chiefs, I feel like I feel like again, it's kind of like the Bill situation. Like, yeah, you, you came in and walked all over the Steelers, but I don't know if the Steelers really should have been in the playoffs, honestly. So I feel like you got to feel good, but you have to be cautiously optimistic because there's greater challenges ahead. Um, you know, but definitely 
they are an offense that is rhythm-based, and I think this is really good for them uh, to go into next week against the Bills. Mac, if you're uh, Tom Brady, no Leonard Fournette, get Chris Godwin, uh, the Bucks. I mean, they just they made light work of the Eagles, and the Eagles, uh, my God, uh, th- that offense is just without you know without a Hurts making any playmaking abilities there, they, they're just an, anemic. So it just it was just it was just so easy for them. You know, and again, I don't like to use excuses. However, if I were Jalen Hurts and my ankle was 100%, it had been a different story as far as the playmaking abilities are concerned. Would they have won? Probably not. Um, outcome still probably was the same, but if I'm Jalen Hurts and I actually had a 100% ankle or just there under 100% a good ankle, my playmaking abilities are 17 times what they were. Now, on the on the same side, how do you go – almost three quarters of the game not targeting Devontae Smith because once they once they started targeting Devontae Smith the playbook just suddenly opened up I don't know if anybody Devontae else Smith realized was in the building that. I didn't realize that what happened there I didn't know I didn't even know I forgot I forgot his damn number by the time the third quarter came and then all of a sudden Jalen Hurts wants to wants to take a huge rollout and just bomb it down the field and the play calling was bad for these Eagles Fair, fair. They didn't. It did not benefit Hurts at all. You know what I mean? And you got no running game. On top of that, no running game. Gainwell, come on. I, no, I, I would have put B. Scott in there. I mean, if I was if I was the coach, it would have been B. Scott all day. But no, they didn't. Well, look, if it, Gainwell is a is a good back, like Gainwell is a good back. He's also a rookie. A good back. Gainwell was making the plays that he to be making. What I mean, unfortunately. The Eagles are almost as predictable as my Cowboys. Let's run the ball to Miles Sanders. Yeah. Like that, that's and why they're right. trying to pound the ball down their throat. And then once they once they figured out, oh, they're going to keep pounding the ball down their throat, they finally decided that they were going to start throwing the damn ball to Devontae Smith. And every time he's catching it, the running game opens up. I'm like, what, like mm-hmm. why are we waiting to the third damn quarter to throw this man the ball? Yeah, the playbook was weak. The coaching, this this whole this whole scheme for them was weak. I mean, they needed to come in with a better mentality, and they did not. Um, Holly, surprised the Cardinals laid the egg. I was shocked. Um, actually, no, and and the reason being is because I guess the the bigger shock is not actually this game. The bigger shock is I don't know, maybe week nine or ten or somewhere around there, about halfway through the season-ish. In my opinion, at that point, they were the best team in the league. Like, they were complete. They had talent at all the different levels. Everything was clicking. And then they started getting injuries. And then for some reason, when those guys were going out and then some of them were starting to come back in, they never got their momentum back. And the, the their – uh, level of play severely dropped. And so I think you have a combination of this happens to every team in the NFL, especially now that we have 17 regular season games, you're going to have injuries and you're going to have times where you need people to come in and filter up and and uh, fill in some spots. And, and it just seems like they haven't quite gotten their footing back from that. So, no, I wasn't surprised about this game because they've been playing like this the last few weeks. 
What I'm surprised about was the play of Kyler Murray because even when they've been struggling and not playing well as a whole, he's still able to make plays. This game is probably the first game I've seen him play in his career so far where he just looks just out of sorts, uncomfortable, like, you know, um, that interception he threw in his own end zone was just like, that's a football no-no. You never do that. You don't throw the ball backwards while you're being tackled in your own end zone. It just, it's never going to end up going your way. And it just seems like, especially since that play, it was like, um, who was it? I think it was Sam Donald a couple of years ago that said he was seeing ghosts. Um, I think that was Donald. Anyway, somebody said it. That's how Kyler Murray looked. He looked like he was seeing ghosts, like he was rushing his throws. He wasn't reading correctly. He just felt like he was just completely off, you know, and, uh, you know, clip on the sidelines seemed like he, like, had seen a ghost himself. Like, they just – it seemed like they, they kind of had a leadership problem where they needed somebody on the field to kind of, like, kick them in the pants and get them going the right direction. And they just seem like completely shell shocked. Um, and but on the other hand, this is a really good win for your Rams. So you know, um, I don't know. I think the Cardinals are going to be okay. They still have a lot of talent, but this is definitely a learning experience that maybe they weren't quite ready for this level of play yet. Mac, uh, you're on the defensive side of the ball. If you're just uh, devouring somebody, like the Ram defense came out just you know, with the Von Miller came out with AD, right overpowering every series. I mean, you, you <laughs> the kid looked scared, basically. I, I can't seem to figure out what the hell was going on with Kyle Murray. Like, and it was kind of disheartening. I don't know if he just ready or didn't feel good or had some, you know, some strange – outlying source and, it, and it's not it's not a bad thing like everybody has their has their moments everybody has their time and unfortunately Kyler Murray kind of had that happen to him this year you know they started out undefeated for the first what was it seven eight nine weeks and then once they had that, those first couple losses it was kind of just up and down from there and then he got hurt so I don't know if he was just having flashbacks or what but I mean that defense was bringing the house and hard and heavy and fast. You know what? My only comfort is that we played a complete game on all three phases, but against the Bucks, it's, I hope they don't get a, you know into a letdown mode again, and and uh, Stafford starts to throw you know interceptions. But that's you know obviously for next for the next round. But uh, this was a, a, a kind of interesting. Uh, wild card weekend, right? You guys, there's just like blowouts on one side, uh, one-sided games. There, there was only like one, two games that were really competitive. Other than that, all the other games are one-sided pretty much. I think a lot of that, you know, has to do with matchups, right? Like every mm-hmm. year there are, you know, some, uh, I don't know, really good teams in the NFL. But sometimes it's kind of the loss of the draw. The seeding really plays a factor because who you play matters. You maybe, uh, let's say, maybe Team A, so to speak, is the best team in the league. 
But what if what they do clashes with a team that they play early in uh, the playoffs and they're out? It's all about what you do well and what the other team does well and your uh, your weaknesses and their weaknesses and how those all match up. And so I think what you saw is you saw a lot of matchups that were not good matchups. It doesn't mean that the seeding was terrible or anything like that or that these teams are terrible. The only team I felt like really didn't deserve to be in it was kind of the Steelers, you know. Um, I think the Eagles kind of crept in too, but – I feel like this is a matchup situation. You know, you got – and then also the other the other factor that a lot of people like to talk about, talk about which I think is valid, is you want to be playing your best football right now. And since the season's so long, you're going to have teams that kind of peak too early or, you know, maybe they're peaking right now. And, like, you know, the, the Cardinals kind of apparently peaked too early and kind of fell off a cliff. The Patriots went on a run and fell off a cliff. <laughs> Um, you know what I mean? So, and then the Niners had a huge dip and now they're coming back up. So it really depends on how you're playing right now and the matchup. But yeah, I think the next round, we're going to see closer games. Mac on this coming round here, Tennessee, uh, you expect them to be ready here for this matchup? Uh, I mean, they look good. Will it be uh, Cincinnati's downfall here? You know, I don't think so. I mean, and as good as, as the Titans are, and there's even word that Derrick Henry could come back, I don't think it's going to be the Bengals' downfall. I just – something's telling me that Joey B and Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase are like a fire that somebody's behind. Um, and it might, unfortunately, for the Titans be them um, – I don't see. I just. I don't see it happening. I'm not gonna say it's gonna be steamrolling by any means. Uh, it's probably gonna be within that three to ten point differential, as far as uh, point differential is concerned. But I don't. I for whatever reason, my gut's telling me that the Bengals might. You know, might could pull this off. Now on the flip side, you have to respect the Titans. They, you know, they got the. They got first round bye, um, and sometimes having that first round bye can also bite you in the behind. You know, having sometimes having too much rest in between can ruin a flow or you know ruin momentum, whatever you know if there if there was any. So you kind you kind of have to look at it with with devil's advocate. If uh, Mac, to your point, if Henry plays, big difference maker. If he doesn't play, do we give the edge to the Bengals right now with Mixon and company? I think respectfully you have to give the the slight edge to the Titans, like I said, because they have that they had that first round bye. However, are coming off that great win against the Raiders. To me, I don't even think you can. You, I don't even think you can. You can give the Titans an edge. I think it's, well, it's going to have to be split fifty fifty. Do we give the advantage to Cincinnati at this point with their weapons? Oh, if I mean, okay, yeah. If if it goes into a shootout and we're talking straight weapons, straight football, you have right this second. You have to give that advantage to the Bengals, yes, um, because unfortunately, right now, as it stands today, as we're talking on the podcast, um, the Titans don't have their key player, and we all know who that that player is, King Henry. 
Um, and he mm-hmm. does pretty much everything except throw the ball, but he has thrown the ball a couple times and has a couple touchdowns under his belt this season too. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think it's it's going to be key whether they they can manage the game, control, uh, you know, keeping the uh, Bengal offense off. That'll be their key. Um, Holly, your Niners go into Lambeau. Lam- the Packers have had a history of choking in the playoffs over the past two years. So at this point, good chance for Frisco to pull this upset. Yeah, you know – What's really interesting is, even though Aaron Rodgers is not my favorite person, <laughs> he's a and really Max good quarterback. Also. But the, but his his knock as a player, in my opinion, is that he's a he's one of the most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen. However, he's only won one Super Bowl, and I know that there have been times when. They've had weaknesses on the Packers. People don't, don't even know that. People assume he's like yeah. this huge, big yeah. deal. <laughs> he, he's won, he's won um, pretty much every individual award you can think of, like uh, MVP a couple times. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a really talented player. He's but like Peyton Manning in a lot of ways. Yes. But, you know, I think part of it is that the way he carries himself, you know, kind of, in my opinion, borders into the arrogance level. And I think because of that, people are like, they kind of forget that, yes, he's talented, but he keeps struggling when he gets into the playoffs. And, yes, you know, every team has – it's not just one player, of course, you know. But one of the teams that has been his nemesis in the playoffs are the 49ers. They've knocked him out, I think, three or four times now, and yep. two times in the last three or four years especially, and two of those were just complete annihilation blowouts. And so early in the season, these two teams faced, but I think at that point in the season, the Niners were kind of trying to figure themselves out a little bit. The Niners since that point have greatly improved in a, in a few ways, like I talked about before. The offensive line has improved. They they did a little bit of rotation on the offensive line, and that has helped a lot. When we uh, played the Packers the first time, you know, the Niners' offense is predicated on their run game. The run game was not as effective, and I think that was at a time when they were trying to figure out the offensive line. Now that they have that down, the Niners are back to running the ball extremely well. Then on top of that, you have the defense. So, you know, we talked about DeMarco Ryan, uh, the defensive coordinator, who who is a rookie coordinator, who's done an amazing job. For his first year, you know, there's been some moments, especially in his first round uh, that they played the Packers early in the season, where he had a couple moments where I was like, oh, I don't know if I would do that. But he's learned from those mistakes. And you can tell that. He puts his people in position to do uh, good things. And so I think the defense is in a much better place. And then Debo, as we said before, is the X factor. When when the Niners played the Packers before, that was before they started running Debo on the backfield as well. So the Niners, I think, have improved. The Packers, on the other hand, have had a really good season. Some weird stuff with Aaron Rodgers off the field, but I think that's kind of every year now with Aaron Rodgers. But I think that the Niners, the X factor in this game, is that they need to play a clean game. Because of three areas they've improved in, but they still have, in my opinion, two vulnerable spots. Number one, Jimmy. 
you know, like I said before, a lot of times we have good Jimmy and we have bad Jimmy. And sometimes you get good Jimmy for like 65, 70% of the game, and then the other 30, 35% bad Jimmy comes out. And so Jimmy needs to play as clean as possible. No turnovers. We can't afford that. And then special teams is the other weak point. The special teams has been a problem. They've improved the last couple of weeks, but I still hold my breath every time there's a kick or a punt or anything. So the Niners can win this game. I know it's going to be cold, but that actually plays into their favor because they like running the ball. So if the Niners don't turn the ball over, I think they win this game. If they do turn the ball over, I think the Packers can run away with it. But it just depends on how clean of a game the Niners can play. Mac, um, if my Rams have a prayer here, that means Stafford has to play a very good game a balanced attack like they did against the Cardinals, and this defense is literally has to pressure Brady, especially with uh, a right tackle and a center questionable for the Bucks. So they could literally take advantage of offensive line and overpowering it. I know. I'm, I'm kind of going to piggyback off of what Holly just said. Just like she said, her 49ers have to play a damn near perfectly clean game. You know, no mental mistakes from Jimmy G. Everything has to be solid, you know, smooth running on all cylinders. Your Rams are also included in that, in, in, in such a phrase of work. Matt Stafford, no mental mistakes. OBJ, same thing. Cooper Cup, same thing. Okay. Aaron Donald, Von Miller, the same thing. Like, and, and when you guys, when y'all teams play cleanly, y'all are hard to beat. It, it's just, it's a fact. Like, y'all are a pretty well-oiled machine. It's just the consistency in the postseason that, that you know, is rough for, for teams that have had a winning season all season. So, and it's not even so much a prayer. It's just the fact that y'all got to come to play. Like, that's it. Just like the 49ers do. Y'all have to go into Green Bay and basically take over Lambeau, Lambeau Stadium. And I will, for one, be rooting for those 49ers. I'm not even going to lie to you. Um, I will be rooting for the 49ers, and I will be rooting for the Rams. So y'all have one extra bandwagon fan this week. Now, uh, Mackenzie, the Rams on defense, I'm not so worried about. Offensively, I'm somewhat worried about it. But if they can balance Michelle and Akers, I think that'll be our, 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 you know, our, our big weapon. And then Odell getting the opportunity to shine again. I think this, he's going to shine again. He's, he seems very excited to be in the spotlight again. You know, it's it's refreshing to see OBJ almost look happy to play football again, and it's great. I love I love that for him. I love that more for your team because when you have a happy, focused OBJ, that's that's an unstoppable mug right there. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, I just, like if I'm lying, I'm flying. Okay. But when you have a happy, focused OBJ, you get the most efficiency from him. You get the most production from him. You get that team camaraderie, and he's almost at the head of it when he's in that happy, good, focused place. When he was with the Browns, one there. Um, everywhere else he's been, one there. Yeah, and it, it's I, I, I'm concerned that uh, more for Stafford, uh, kind of like what Holly's pointing to Jimmy G, because if he goes – off the deep rails, uh, the opportunity is there for us to kind of lose the game. Because every time he throws 
at least two t- two picks or more, we end up losing the game. So he's got to stay, you know, kind of in a good mode at the same time, you know, short throws, get himself into it and stuff. Um, Holly, if you're Buffalo, uh, you're really on a high right here. But if you're the Chiefs at this point, uh, you're looking – I don't even think they're intimidated by the by Buffalo. So but basically, Buffalo has to beat the Chiefs to prove a valid, uh, great season for them. Oh, definitely. <clears throat> I think this is going to be really entertaining. I think on on the face of this game, you have two teams that like to put up a lot of points, and so theoretically, you would think that this game is going to end like 48 to like 45 or something ridiculous like that. But sometimes when we go into these games with like two high powered offenses, the score ends up being 10 to six or something like that. So that might have to, I doubt it. But I think both of these teams, you know, steamrolled to their first challenge and this is a more competitive matchup. I I think that, um, you know, the Chiefs, have, they were really explosive last week. I think you're going to see the Bills kind of go back to what other teams have had success against the Chiefs doing, which is trying to really take away uh, Hill and Kelsey as much as possible. Teams do it different ways. They double here, they bracket here, that sort of thing. But you got to make the Chiefs try to earn it. You have to make them try to run the ball. Um, you know, I think that if you do that, the Chiefs get impatient and then they make mistakes, you know. That was kind of the Chiefs' problem about midway through the season. They, they've done a little bit better with that. Their ball control has been better. Um, but if you're the Bills, you want to approach this as, I want to score when I have the ball, and you need to score seven and not three. the ball over, and you need to make the Chiefs work. Make them work down the field. I don't care if it's an 18-play drive. Make them work. No explosive plays. Because that's how the Chiefs get in front. And on the Bills side, you need Josh Allen to use his legs because that's what makes him another dimension than than other quarterbacks. And if you can do that, I think he can get yards with his legs. Um, So I think it's going to be really fun, and uh, I'm excited to see it. Mac, you think this goes defense? That's Holly's point here because we're expecting huge offense, but the Bills' defense has—they uh, have surrendered the fewest yards per game and the fewest points per game. So uh, Kansas City, something to worry about, I guess. I have to agree with Holly, <laughs> like a hundred percent. You have to make the Chiefs earn every freaking point that they think they're going to get. Like she said, eighteen play drive. 27-minute drive, I don't care. Make them earn it because they're going to they're gonna go in there thinking that they're going to be able to walk over the Bills, and that's the Bills' problem is that they get hot and then they get kind of cocky, and then when they play a team that's equally matched or even a little bit better, they kind of cower. However, I don't see that happening this year. Um, I think the Bills have been have been slightly humbled but not in a sense to where – you know, they were ever super cocky this season. They've just been, you know, people have been out with COVID. People have been hurt. People have been, you know, back and forth, up and down. And they still, they have still been able to be consistent. They're just, you know, it, for me, the key thing is, is the offensive consistency. Josh Allen has to be on top of it and then some. Because 
because Patrick Mahomes is that guy. Like, he does that. It's going to be a huge weekend. Um, Holly, Rams, Niners rematch for the NFC Championship. I think my buddy said that earlier. We got to get it. I right? would love that. <laughs> wouldn't that be great? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? I would love that. I was just thinking, like, and the like, reason, yeah, why, why not? Why not? Why not us? I, <laughs> I would love that. I mean, for for first of all, like if you're talking, you know, from a Niner standpoint, we match up with you know we're talking about matchups. We match up with the Rams mm-hmm. better than we do with Tampa Bay. And, you know, I think number two, that would be cool because it would be two teams that spend the same division, and we all know our divisions are really, really tough. So that would be kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, that's what I'm rooting for, you know, because I think uh, I want to see another game where Aaron Donald tries to pretend like he doesn't know who Debo is. I don't know if you remember that. But oh, yeah. I think it was like, um, like I think two years ago where they asked Aaron Donald, and they're like, oh, what do you think of Debo's game? Because I think he was a rookie that year, and he's like, I don't know who he is. And then Debo apparently does not like him now. And <laughs> said, I hope you know who I Little am. Disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I said he's, a, he's uh, obviously a little disrespectful, right? Who? who who's that guy? Sammy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I'd like to see that because I do think the Rams and the Niners have, you know, a good, you know, rival type situation, um, and it's fun. Um, so I, I that would be a great matchup. Um, so good luck to you, Oscar. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I want to see it. You know why? Because this would be McVay's redemption, right? At the biggest stage, one step to the Super Bowl, he has to take down his biggest rival that's been spanking him for six in a row. You know what I mean? That would be the storyline. That would be a big, big storyline. That would be a huge Uh, uh, huge situation for him. Yeah, that would be a huge situation for McVay, you know, the pressure for him. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too because – the you know McVeigh and Shanahan are always compared you know and so I think that would be the storylines would be great um, and so I would be rooting for seven in a row so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I am gonna be excited. Uh, Mac on the other side, uh, who comes out of it on the other side? Will it be uh, Buffalo Cincinnati? Is that what we're gonna see, or are we gonna see Tennessee and Buffalo? I think it's going to be Buffalo, Cincinnati. I think I really, that really would do. be a great that's, matchup. That's it? what I'm hoping on. Yeah, I think Burrow, that would be a, the Allen. ideal matchup. Absolutely. I would want to see that. Chase, Burrow, Allen, you know, Diggs, Allen, uh, the defense on the uh, on the Buffalo side, the defense on the Cincinnati side. I think that would be the better matchup. So that's what, I think that's what I'm rooting for there. All right, broke it down. Everything already ready to go for the divisional round. Broke down the wild card weekend. So uh, Mac and uh, Holly, really awesome. I think our listeners have really enjoyed it. So um, I know last week we had a great podcast uh, feedback uh, with Steve Guinan uh, of the uh, Toledo Troopers. So uh, thanks to everybody that uh, downloaded our podcast last week and really uh, appreciated uh, Steve coming in here and giving us the lowdown on that and what a great project he's doing out there. So Thank you, everybody, for downloading 407 and making it a big hit for us. 
All right, uh, Matt, that's it. Uh, Holly, what an hour. It went by pretty fast. Oh, definitely. Uh, looking forward to, to next week. Hopefully we have good things to talk about with our teams. Hopefully it'll be Rams, Niners, Holly. That's what I want. That's what we want. You know, before we before I before I sign off, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut y'all off, but I, I need to I need to uh, call out somebody on our admin team, uh, the backseat coach Terry Lister. Um, look, young man, I know you're about to hop on here in a minute, but um, don't think you was gonna get away with that cute comment you said to me in our chat, sir. He said that he could make he could play a better corner than what was it Trey Diggs, and I started laughing. Um, don't 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 ever do that again, young man. Don't do that. Um, no, you cannot play better than Trey Diggs. Let, let's not get overzealous, Coach T. Hey, look, I know about you might know a thing or two about football, but don't ever disrespect Trey Diggs again. Well, I can tell you, uh, Cincinnati, I think, was going to the Ben, uh, ben retirement party. I, I mean, uh, Cleveland, but it didn't happen. So, You know, I also just want to know when the Cleveland Browns play. You know, if, if somebody could send me that schedule, I would Ouch. love to watch. You, you know, I just Sorry, I would Barry. really love to see when the Cleveland Cleveland Browns play. So if anybody can like, you know, send me the schedule or you know tag me on an Instagram post, I'd love to see it. <laughs> you're bad. You're horrible. <laughs> sorry, Terry. Uh, sorry, you. not sorry, Terry. <laughs> From the Mac. <laughs> oh my God. All right, no, uh, Mackenzie, you're good. You're good. I think you're good. He, I think he got the point, right? Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine now. But I just needed to let him know he wasn't going to get away with that. Oh no, Terry knows better. He knows better to get involved with the, <laughs> with the salt team. All right, y'all. I'll be back next week. Oscar, Holly, have good. Have a good week. We'll talk next week. Getting ready for the divisional round. Let's do it. All right. Thanks for coming in, Mac. Appreciate it. Uh, Holly, as always, great insights. Uh, we're looking forward to Niners-Rams rematch in the NFC. So that'll be awesome. Fingers crossed. Have a good week. All right. Have a great night. All right. Uh, let's go into the second hour. Uh, if you haven't gone over to Monkey Night Fight, go to Monkey Night Fight. NJF, uh, NJF is your code. Get ready for the divisional round. More or less is the play. Check it out, monkeyknife5.com, more or less. Let's bring in the backseat coach right here, Mark Simone, as we're going to break down everything that's happening in the women's game in the next hour. It's going to take us almost an hour, Mark. I, I kind of like already kind of worked it in. It's going to be an hour. <laughs> so I hope you have coffee and stuff. Yeah, I got all my notes ready. I, you know, we've got, uh, we've got our work cut out for us tonight. Uh, with the WFA releasing its uh, schedule, and um, of course there's 60 teams in the in the WFA, and we're not going to be going over, you know, all the schedules. That would be that would no Iron Man hour. We, what? <laughs> by the time we did that, it would be next season, right? Um, <laughs> but we'll go over the pro division, um, and um, then talk a little bit about international. All right, uh, Mark, uh, let's start international first so we get it out of the way. It's only a couple of things. But um, as we before we came onto the uh, podcast, I got all these messages on my Facebook page in the afternoon here. 
uh, on top of all the great news that was happening uh, at the Hub, uh, shout out to Adrian Smith and Lewis Cook for being uh, uh, on the uh, Milk campaign for the Football is Football campaign on IG uh, for, uh, you know, and so the great campaign and uh, with a couple, two uh, flag players as well. So uh, really, really a great shout out. Uh, WFA stars right there in the campaign. So it's going to be 2022 campaign. So it's going to be all over Instagram, TikTok, and all social media. So really awesome. Yeah, that was really exciting. I wasn't expecting to see something like that today. Uh, you know, it was just very busy. Um, and then to see uh, these really, I think, really sort of like eye-catching uh, photographs, you know, uh, just made such a strong impact. So that was really great to see on Instagram and uh, Facebook and um, try and find a little bit more about it. But I actually, uh, my, my uh, oldest child who – He's in fifth grade now. Um, we call him Tiny Coach. Uh, I told him about it, and he said, oh, well, when I was in third grade, we used to see a lot of uh, posters and propaganda, he said, about Team Milk. I was like, oh, is that right? And I asked him to tell me about it, and he, he said it was a campaign that is sort of very well worked into um, elementary school programs. So, I'm just thinking about all the kids that are going to be seeing, you know, Adrian Smith and Lois Cook, and they're, they're going to be seeing women in their uh, flag and tackle football gear um, promoting milk, which is pretty darn cool, i got to say. And who better than Boston, D.C. representatives? That was even cooler to see Adrian and That's great. Yeah. Lewis, you know what I mean? I mean the biggest those, rivalry in the WSA. Yeah. Those two are a couple of the, the, the sort of greatest ambassadors of the sport around, you know. Um, so it's great to see both of them um, getting a piece of the action there. All right. Um, so the other news that came out was uh, Mexico, they had the pre-selection um, from the national tournament, but uh, some of the players uh, felt disrespected from other leagues from what I'm hearing. And we got that news from our uh, network partners down south, uh, Maximo Avance and uh, Tercer Cuarto. Um, Basically, what it boils down to is the Federation has literally coupled themselves with LaFi, and they came up with some sort of pre-selection for each players, and there was really no tryouts for the rest of the leagues. And so some of the leagues, exclusively FX Mexico, uh, put out a uh, note for the Federation to see if they can go ahead and do more tryouts in different other states to accumulate uh, a couple more players from the other leagues to participate in the final selection for the bronze winning national team that's going to take a, uh, at the IFAB World Championship. So um, exclusively, Tercer Cuarto had some interviews and some feedback there. We also had some contacts down south uh, deciding that. So the bottom line is, uh, their beef is basically the Federation is not taking their side of the sport serious enough to make a selection given the fact that there's no head coach currently in place and there's no coaching staff. So how do you come up with a pre-selection, uh, you know, player selection when there's no actual staff to make that decision? So that's kind of weird. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a, uh, you know, that's a fair gripe. You know, you, you have to – if, if there's no leadership structure there, there's no coaching staff, uh, yet the the players of the team are being selected, 
that seems like something that you would raise a red flag on, right? So I definitely hear that. Of course, you know, we're at the moment, this is a developing story. We're only hearing one side of the story right now. Um, Mm -hmm. um, But, you know, so we get to hear, you know, one point of view. um, um, And and it sounds like there's some legitimate, you know, questions being raised, which I, I think is fair and just. And uh, hopefully we'll hear something else maybe by the next podcast um, so that we can have a fuller picture of maybe what has happened uh, with that trial process um, uh, and what is going to happen in the coming weeks. Because, you know, going into – The biggest concern the players had was you, you had COVID restrictions all over Mexico at the time. And there was no way that certain players could be, you know, uh, going from state to state as an as a situation, right? So their their right. only requirement is, you know, their own leagues, internal leagues, should have their uh, tryouts, and then from those tryouts, then select the names that would be considered for the national team, and then at that point it's pre-selection, and then you, then the coaching staff once it's set in can select from some of those players uh, nationwide, is what the FX Mexico uh, note was. Just to, you know, just a, a bigger pool to give everybody a fair shot to be on the national team instead of just uh, a bunch of players from, let's say, Lafayette, for example, right? That is now coupled with the federation, which is now in agreement with the WFA, as an example. So that kind of puts a shadow or a, a neglect, basically, of the rest of the leagues, and that's really what the note was. So hopefully the federation will do the right thing and, and be transparent and start to communicate uh, create coaching staff. I mean, we got short term. We, we have the same concern we have with Team USA right now, which is, you know, how long will it take for the coaching staff to bond? And then we got the tryouts coming. So, all I think all uh, teams and all countries are having some sort of internal uh, situation because of the short time frame that it's going to take to put everybody together, right? Absolutely, and you know, um, it's it's a big enough challenge, right, in a short time frame to um, get a national program off the ground. Um, having, you know, the, the landscape is changing with COVID and, you know, different countries and different states and even municipalities um, have different rules. And that, can, that certainly makes it even more difficult to do this. You know, allegations of, of, of favoring uh, one league over another is kind of a different problem. Um, but hopefully an equitable agreement can be reached where everybody feels like they got a fair shot to uh, be a part of the national team. And because, you know, you don't want something like this to derail the momentum that you have, especially uh, particularly in Mexico. Um, we talked a couple shows ago about um, their success in the last women world championships and, um, you know, they want to keep that momentum going. They don't want internal strife to get in the way here. Uh, so hopefully they'll reach an equitable um, 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 the plan of moving forward very soon. And we'll keep tabs on it as well. Um, and we got Ter Ter Cuarto covering it, Maximo Avance covering it, Yarda 20. So all our network partners in Mexico are basically on top of it right now. And I'm pretty sure they're, they're going to keep us abreast of what the decision is and what the Federation is going to do and, how the, the individual leagues are going to cooperate with the federation and 
how that talent pool is going to be obviously selected from. So looking uh, looking to see how that happens. But uh, that was the big bombshell that came out uh, this week. You can check it out at the hub at facebook.com forward slash square and beauties. Uh, Mark, before we get into the WFA uh, pro division, uh, we have Gridiron West back in action. Vipers will take it on Hills, Valk- uh, took on Hills uh, Valkyries. Uh, and then this weekend we get, uh, we got a couple weeks left. I think one, two, three, we got four weeks left. For the playoffs so very important for curtain saints they get a bye week this week and then they get back into action in on the 22nd or yeah the 20 i'm sorry the 29th i think and so for the yep. saints they're four and five right now it's really going to be run the table uh week 13 14 and 15 for them to even try to make the playoffs yeah well they're going to have a rough go um if they're going to try and run the table because on the 29th, they're going to face the Perth Broncos. Um, and, you know, they're the top team in the league, the Broncos are. That's going to be a tough one for the Curtin Saints to win. But I think even if they lose that, they're not completely eliminated from the playoff picture yet. A lot depends on, um, you know, how the West Coast Wolverines do down the stretch. Um, you know, uh, it's... It's uh, everything's still pretty much up in the air, but you're right. Things are intensifying now with the playoff picture here, um, and it's it's you know mostly about playoff position. It seems pretty clear that um, you know Perth, Rockingham, West Coast um, are are probably definitely going to be in the playoffs. So they've all um, accumulated enough um, points to to reach the final four, and um, I think that's true of Curtin as well. Now it's just a matter of, you know, can teams um, change their playoff position, maybe give themselves a better chance of, of advancing in the next round. So that's what we're going to see over the next uh, few weeks there in Gridiron West. Interesting week 15. If everything goes as planned, the big game will be Saints-Titans for the last position for the playoffs. Stands right now. So uh, kind of interesting matchup to look forward to the week 15 on February 12th. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, uh, in that Rockingham Vipers, West Coast Wolverines game that, that very week as well could possibly, um, you know, flip the, the playoff positions for those two teams. So very, very interesting finish in Great Iron West. All right. We're looking forward to week 12. Titans, Hills Valkyrie, Wolverines, taking on the Jets, and the Vipers taking on Perth. And that will be the marquee matchup of this weekend on January 22nd. And that's that one I'm looking forward to, Mark. Vipers, Perth, one versus two. Yeah, there's two big kids on the blocks. And, um, you know, that could be a preview of the championship game. So uh, that uh, we'll be watching that one very, very uh, closely. Down in there, uh, we have a Spanish results right there at the hub. We'll go through it. So if you want the results from the Spanish League right there, go to the hub at facebook.com for Sesquare Beauties. We've got some of the scores right there. You also go to FIFA of Spain, FIFA.es on in Spain to get the lowdown. Uh, also, C, uh, CISF Italy, we'll get the results there as well, get the lowdown of, of the season finales. So everything's at the hub. Texas Valley Sports, uh, also the results, we'll put them up at the hub. It was uh, 38, 38 to 8. Brownsville Sting, week two, against the River City Warriors. Uh, coming up here on the 29th, it's going to be Coastal 
ban against Kingsville Empire. So we'll keep tabs on Texas Valley Sports Women's Season as well. So really good week one and week two. So we'll keep tabs on that. So let's dive into the WFA Pro Division. And this is going to be awesome, uh, Mark. We talked about the WNFC in a scope uh, east and west. We're going to dive into WFA Pro right here. And we got a lot of the historic teams this season put together on both sides of the coast. St. Louis returns, Spurt returns. I mean, you can't get any better than that. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's it's so good to have them back, uh, you know, on the field. Um, they're, they're, they are both um, competitive teams with championship legacies. Um, and their addition to the WFA Pro Division um, really beefs up uh, the competitive competitiveness of of that division. And the WFA has also expanded the division. Last year, there was only uh, what uh, seven teams in the in the pro division, and uh, now they're up to eleven teams. Um, so they've got a, a a wider field of competition now, with uh, the addition of very strong opponents. You mentioned St. Louis and Pittsburgh. We also have now the Nevada Storm, who now jumped up uh, to the, the top division. So that's a very welcome addition uh, as well. Um, and then finally, a new team is uh, the Detroit Venom, who are the latest iteration of the Detroit Dark Angels, who um, were in the uh, D2 championship game last season. So if we had a, uh, let's start critiquing the schedule here because that's where we're going to break it down and kind of look at the matchups. Arlington, very impressive the last two seasons, part of the game of the week functions with Minnesota. Um, so their schedule, not as tough as you would say the Diva schedule or the Boston schedule, but they do have an opportunity here. Uh, they take on Austin week one, the D3 team. They take on the Energy, D2, pretty competitive team, Energy always pretty competitive in D2. They get a bye week, and then they get ready to take on the Mustangs and, and D1. Then they, take, then they go on the road against Minnesota. Then they go on, they take uh, care of Cali War at home, and they finish up with the power. So if you're Arlington right here, pretty favorable schedule. If you can care of week one, week two, and the last week of the season, okay, you, your biggest test basically being uh, May 7th, which is at Minnesota, and May 14th at Cali War. Yeah, I mean, this should be a manageable schedule for the Arlington Impact because these are actually all the same opponents that they saw last season. So Mm -hmm. there's not too many surprises here. Um, uh, Last year, in a very close matchup with the Houston Energy, the uh, Impact won 8-7. That's definitely still one of the games uh, kind of on my radar, even though uh, the Energy is still a Division II team. Uh, we know that they're tough. Um, I think they kind of belong in, in Division One, maybe next year. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think they're even they're tougher competition probably than the the Dallas Mustangs. So, um, but uh, as I said, you know, there's no surprises here in Arlington's schedule. Uh, they should know what to expect. They went four and two last year. Hopefully, they can re- or improve upon it. Although I'd say it's pretty tough to improve, you know, 
upon that. They, you know, with they, you know, playing the Vixen, man, they're tough. If they can get one on the Cali War, that's I think that's how they might improve their schedule. Um, but uh, it's not bad. They're facing um, three teams from the pro set, and uh, then you know uh, two D two teams, and they finish up the season as you say uh, against the Houston Power, who are in the third division, um, and that's that's a you know this is a, a schedule that they can handle here. Now, if you move on to Cali War, they get a bye the first week right off the bat. They they basically have D3 competition for the first three weeks in their season. So this their biggest competition, I think, is going to be the Outcast. Uh, Kern County has much much improved. I have no idea what California Crush looks like at this point. But other than that, they should be 3-0 and at that phase where they start to Nevada, Arlington, and Nevada. Biggest test. Their biggest rivalry is Nevada, and you know that that's going to be the marquee matchup right there for Cali War, and that their biggest challenge is right there through the last three weeks of the season. Absolutely, you know, um, the last two seasons they faced the Storm uh, once uh, each season, and, and now this year they bumped it up to two, just because that matchup is uh, has been um, so like productive and, and, and thrilling to watch. Um, so. Um, they've they've added an extra tilt here with Nevada. Um, as you mentioned, uh, they've added the Arizona Outcast to their schedule. Although they're a D3 team, they are one of the more competitive D3 teams. They went deep into the playoffs. You know, um, they almost pulled it out in the end. Uh, they have an explosive offense. So it's not a team that they're going to look past. Um even though the Cali War schedule is it, it is a bit easier than most of the, the teams in the Pro Three Division Three opponents. It's actually, I think, compared to their last year's schedule, I think it, I think it's a stronger I think it's a stronger set of opponents than they had last year. So at least there we see that kind of improvement there. And just adding that extra game with Nevada um, uh, definitely sort of kind of raises the stakes. Um, on the season for the Cali war. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, if you're the champs, this schedule right here says every game is going to be earned and they're facing every D one team. There's no week off. You're taking DC, you're taking Inferno, you're taking the re- revamped, uh, you know, um, dark angels, which is the venom. You're taking on the return of the Pittsburgh. You're even going across, to the Gateway City to take on the Slam. I mean, this uh, Boston right here. Last year they ran they ran the table pretty much, and I, I hate to be the one that says it, but uh, if you're on the Boston schedule, you know, welcome to the big time because this is what it's going to be about. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think that's right, and I, I think that's the reason uh, the Renegades are the only the only team that have um, that face all pro level teams. So uh, Boston's the only team where every game is against an opponent in uh, the pro division. Um, and so in that, in that sense, it's, it's the toughest schedule um, that they could put together, for, uh, you know, in the league for, um, and certainly for the Boston Renegades. Um, yeah. You know, and there's some, 
pretty good matchups here. I think that people really want to see. You know, I definitely want to see that uh, game against the St. Louis Slam. That's one that was on the slate a couple of years ago um, when COVID canceled the season. Um, So, you know, we get to see that. That's going to happen in St. Louis. Uh, You know, the return of Pittsburgh, big deal. You know, it's a very big deal. Want to see that game. And, you know, for the Pittsburgh passion, the last time they played, they lost against Boston in, in 2019. So, for Pitt, although, you know, everybody else has had a season in 2021, Pittsburgh sat out that season. The last game they played was a loss against Boston. So, you know, they're going to want to come in and, like, get a win. Like, like they're angry, <laughs> you know. So, that's definitely one to watch. I think this is the best schedule the WFA put out in terms of the pro division. It is the most competitive schedule, and it's the one that we're going to be watching week to week. This is like every every week is going to be we're going to be watching Boston pretty much every week until the until the playoffs. Um, and I, I shout out to uh, you know the WFA schedule maker, and shout out to uh, Molly Goodwin, and for putting it putting her team out there every week against a D1 team every week. So. Shout out to them, and hopefully, if they do at uh, FXT, FXT again, or and next, hopefully they're going to be spotlighted every week because I, I think that that's the schedule or that's the matchups you want to see week to week. So shout out to the Boston Renegades, the champs. Um, if you're DC, Mark, uh, you get to face your uh, your rivals across town, Baltimore. Then you got to take on Boston. You get a bye week. Take on Baltimore. Uh, you get a visit. Uh, you get a visit from Tampa get another bye week after that, um, and then you basically take uh, a take on Boston and finish up with Pittsburgh. So are we going to see the same team we saw last year with uh, injury-riddled Divas and our uh, Congaldi coming back? Uh, so we don't know what the, what the D.C. Divas are going to look like. Uh, yeah, you know, <clears throat> um, the the Divas definitely need to, like, like sort of focus on, on getting themselves right. Um, they had a couple of, you know, decimating injuries to like two, uh, two star players. Um, and that's, that's hard to deal with. And that happened in the midst of sort of a, an upheaval with the coaching staff. So hopefully things will be more stabilized this year and, and, and we'll see a Divas team that we're more accustomed to seeing and not one that went one on one and three on the season last year. Um, that said, I think the schedule that we see here is 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 kind of something that we expect to see, right? We expect to see mm-hmm. them play them twice. They're arch rivals. Expect to see them play Pittsburgh, and you get expect to see them uh, play uh, the Nighthawks, who are you know just an hour away driving. Um, and, and then it's rounded out by a game uh, with the Tampa Bay Inferno there in the middle of the season. That would be a rematch of playoff tilt last year which Tampa Bay won to um to reach the conference final so you know I, I think they've got that game circled they want to get revenge on that DC does so um you know unfortunately there's no sort of like exotic matchups that haven't happened before you know there's no St. Louis on this schedule or um or Minnesota or Detroit or anything um so I I you know, I think it's kind of a, you know, a predictable schedule, but I mean, this is the kind of schedule that they need to, um, um, 
to stay focused, I think, and get back on track. All these um, their only, opponents are familiar their only to them. Easy win, if you want to consider it an easy win, would be Baltimore, but even Baltimore has improved a lot in, in D2. So there's no real wheezy wins on this schedule either, because even Baltimore is Absolutely. top notch. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I certainly didn't mean to imply that, uh, you know, this is an easy schedule. It's definitely one of the st- harder s- schedules here, yeah. um, even, even in the pro division. Um, definitely, like, you know, easily top three, top to schedule in here. Now we go to Dallas. Um, they're going to face D2 and a couple D3 squads. Uh, Oklahoma, very challenging. Even in D3, they've played really well. So that's something to watch for. Gulf Coast, much improved, the Monarchy. Um, and then they're taking on an Energy twice. They're taking on the much improved Austin Outlaws and then Arlington. So uh, Mustangs didn't fare well last year. This is an opportunity for them to uh, put a good foot forward, especially now that they're in D1 and competitive with everybody else. But even the D3 matchups against Gulf Coast and Oklahoma are going to be big tests. Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, um on the surface, uh, Dallas has one of the weaker schedules in the pro division. They only face one pro division team, that being um, Arlington. And so the rest are D2 and D3 teams. But as you, as you mentioned, uh, they're, you know, they're some of the stronger teams in those divisions. And um, I think they make pretty interesting matchups for the Mustangs. Uh, the variety of teams that you see, they, they get Houston Energy twice, um, Oklahoma City, uh, I'm sorry, Oklahoma City Lady Force, the Gulf Coast Monarchy. Like, that's a lot of different opponents. Dallas, Dallas is a team, I'll put it frankly, Dallas is a team that needs to improve. All right. They've been sort of the bottom feeders of um, the, the top division for a few years now. They, they really need to, to pull themselves together and start making strides forward. Um, they were 3-3 three and three last year, which, which isn't bad. Um, you know, if, if, they, if they can't reach at least 3-3 three and three this year, you know, I, I just sort of feel that, you know, maybe they should drop down a division and, um, you know, we get the Houston Energy up into the pro division. I know this is the beginning of the season and, you know, that's a kind of a harsh thing to say at the beginning of the season before any games have been played. But, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's, you know, this is a season where we, you know, we need to see Dallas make some, some strong moves forward. And, and hopefully we'll see that. I want to see that happen. Well, we're only going, we're only basing on the previous season. So all our, all our takes today are basically our own opinion because we have no roster set yet. We don't know what's going to look like, right? So at this point, it's just a matter of waiting for week one and whether they're going to take down Houston Energy at this point or not. So, But uh, given last year, to your point, this is probably the team that needs to improve a lot more than any other team out west because Arlington's much improved. Minnesota's obviously tough. Cali War is what it is. Arlington, like I said, much improved as well. So um, it's just – it's. It's what it is. What it is, but they have a favorable schedule. They get two opponents, like I said, D three tough opponents. Uh, they're going to get the energy twice, which they know they're their rival. Arlington, the big top dog next to them, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, the reborn Venom. Uh, they get Pittsburgh. They're no strangers to them. 
uh, Capital City. Then they're going to get Boston, uh, Columbus Chaos, which I think is the reincarnation, right, of the old Columbus, uh, the Columbus Club. And then Derby City plus Pittsburgh. So a uh, pretty competitive schedule if you're Detroit. And then it's pretty tough right off the block. So you're going to get Pittsburgh. Then you're going to get a bye. And then you're going to get right into Capital City. And then right after that, uh, you're going to go on the road against Boston, or probably one of their biggest tests as well. But they get two matchups against Pittsburgh. Those are going to be pretty important. Yeah. Um, yeah. With Pittsburgh now back in the fold, uh, this is an even more competitive schedule than they had last year. And last year was pretty tough for them. They went 3-3. Three and three. Um, They faced Boston twice last year. They only had to face them once this year. So that might be a little bit of an ease-up. But, you know, then you get Pittsburgh Passion to start and end the season. So those are, those are tough games. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think everybody remembers um, uh, 2019 when the Detroit Dark Angels sort of upset mm-hmm. Pittsburgh Passion to reach the Division Two finals. So, um, I, you know, I, I think people will be remembering that game when these two teams face off no in the first loss. week of the season. Two cities, by the way. <laughs> it's no love yeah. loss. I'm pretty sure they'll remember right. that. <laughs> uh, you know, another interesting matchup, though, is uh, when Detroit takes on the Columbus Chaos. Although they're a Division II team, uh, the new head coach of the Columbus Chaos is uh, the former head coach of, of the Dark Angels. So I, I'm sure they'll be happy to see each other. But when they're on the field, it's, it's on. Trust me. That game is going to be a hard-fought game. It, with any luck, this will be televised. Um, so that's one that I'm looking forward to. Um, plus, you know, also you got the, the Derby City Dynamite, man. That, that's, another, that's another team that will test you physically. So, so this is a tough – this is a very, very tough uh, schedule for Detroit. And, but it's one of those things, you know, where iron sharpens iron. So uh, we'll see how Detroit fares. And, um, you know, they are sort well, of a, you know, they, they a, a didn't new back down, Mark. They didn't back down because they, they only get a 1-D-3, which is Capital City. The rest of the matchups are really good. The, uh, Derby obviously deserves to be in D2 now with all their success. And the other teams are, D, are D1, D2, so the same as uh, Divas here. So that's a really good schedule. It's a matter of getting off the blocks really early against your rival there, Pittsburgh. Then you get a bye week to kind of soften up. But, uh, it, it, you know, they could make an impact here, especially as well in, in the D, uh, D1 pro level here. Um, if we go to Minnesota, they get uh, pretty much the same type of schedule. They get a D3 squad, and then they get a D2 squad. The rest of the schedule is really well-rounded. They get their rival, St. Louis, twice. They get Arlington, which they faced last year. And then, obviously, Nevada, which they have not faced, uh, on the road at Nevada. So uh, if you're Minnesota, uh, very good opportunity here. There are some thorns on your side, which is St. Louis. Yeah, it, that, I mean, that'll be a very interesting matchup, especially that happening twice. Uh, you know, we all know St. Louis's. A reputation. We know what they're capable of, but we don't know what they're going to look like after, you know, two seasons of not being on the field to go up against 
you know, a team that went into the championship game last season. Um, so, uh, so it will certainly be very interesting. That that first tilt will, I think, tell the teams a lot about themselves and, and what they need, you know, where they are and what they need to work on. Um, uh, I certainly hope that one of those two matchups is a televised matchup. Um, and, of course, you mentioned the Nevada Storm. That's a very interesting matchup with the Minnesota Vixen as well. So it's going to be a, a nice, balanced uh, matchup because you, you get a regional fix for it. You get a regional uh, St. Louis in the region. You get Arlington in the region. And then you finish up uh, at, at Nebraska uh, as well. But uh, against Nevada, it's going to be interesting must-see to see how this storm will fare against uh, Minnesota offense uh, there as well. Um, then let's go to Nevada here. They get a bye week in the first week, and then right off the bat, they go to Mile High. Mile High, obviously, a much improved program from last year, looking to kind of be a staple in D2. Then they get a bye week right after Mile High, and then they get to host Minnesota Cali, at Cali War. The, they take on the Gates, Lady Gates on the road, and then Cali War once again. Then you're, uh, you're going to get Kern County. So if you're in Nevada, the schedule isn't as tough at this point. It's all winnable. If you're looking at what their potential was last year, uh, I think their biggest test will be their rival, Cali War, that they cannot afford to lose. They can probably afford to lose to Minnesota if needed. But the rest of the games are winnable, and that puts them in a good position if you look at it right away in a playoff mode, to return to a playoff mode. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I certainly think if they, you know, can pull one win off against the Cali War, um, they'll be they'll be very happy with they are where they are on the schedule. And if they can win both of those, well, they they know that they are they got a head of steam going into the playoffs, and that they have a chance at at, at the whole thing. Um, so, and yeah, you're right. You know, maybe not as tough a schedule all all the way through. They, you know, they, but they do face three um, um, uh, pro division teams, and they get a couple D3s on the schedule. That is what it is. Um, but it, it's, it's about facing the foes that are sort of in your playoff bracket. And so, so I think that's what their mentality is going into this season. And we don't know what the Lady Gays are going to be all about, and we have no idea what Kern County, how much improved they are, even though we're, you're putting them down as a D3 at this point. But, you know, those games could make a difference, right? If you don't, if you don't win any of those, that's a big factor. But uh, given the schedule it is right now, their biggest test will be at Mile High, uh, at Cali War, um, and then Minnesota probably being their biggest test of the year for them. Um, if you're Pittsburgh, we talked about the Detroit schedule. If you're Pittsburgh, you get to face Detroit week one. You get two weeks, two bye weeks, so I don't know if that's going to hurt you. But uh, then you go to, you go to Tri-City, which is your uh, in-state rival, D2. We don't know what they're going to look like. And then you get, you get at Boston, at Columbus, then uh, basically Detroit again and D.C. So pretty competitive schedule uh, besides, you know, the question mark we have with the D2 Tri-State Warriors. Yeah, definitely one of the more competitive schedules um, um, out there. 
And you're right, we don't know anything about the Tri-State Warriors. It's their first year. I think pretty much the only thing we know about them is that, you know, they're owned and their head coach is uh, Rich Harrigan, who has been around women's football for a while. He's had some success. Um, Now he's running the show with Tri-State Warriors. We don't know what kind of team that he can put together in uh, the first season, but you don't want to be caught napping. I'll put it that way. Um, um, It'll be, you know, I'm definitely curious about that game. Um, Not so much to see where the passions stand, but to see, you know, what kind of team the Tri-State Warriors are going to be. Um, Otherwise, you know, there are definitely some, some great matchups here on, on Pittsburgh's schedule. Um, You know, they got four, they face, uh, Pro division teams and two division two teams. Uh, it's competitive all around, and um, I can't wait to see Pittsburgh back in action. Yeah, it's it's going to be nice to see them uh, be competitive, and at the same time, uh, you know, two years off almost. Uh, what the roster is going to look like, how potent offensively they're going to be. They've always had a good offensive, uh, you know, a set of uh, talented athletes out there, uh, and defensively also as well. So. Looking forward to bringing the former IWFL and WFA, you know, playoff-related uh, uh, Pittsburgh passion back into the mix. Um, if you're St. Louis, uh, Mark, they always seem to be – they come off a, a, an off year, and then they come in with a pissed-off mode. Like, you know, they deserve the, the championship. They deserve to be in the playoffs. And I'm not saying that because, you know, uh, you know the slam hasn't been good. It's just like they take a year off or, or take another year off, and then they come back and they don't miss a beat. So if you're Columbus in week one at Columbus, watch out for the storm that will be showing up from the Gateway City. You're absolutely right. Um, St. Louis's history, um, you know, over the last like six or seven years, has, um, in, in one sense has been very steady. They've won the Division Two championship when they've played. That's what it's been. But as you mentioned, you know, there have been uh, years intermittently where they've been inactive for one reason or another. Uh, one time they, I think, were transfer, uh, uh, transferred ownership, right? But then they came back and then they just, they just, you know, kept up their winning ways like nothing ever happened. Um, so are we to expect the same here in this situation after a couple of years? Um, I agree with you. The Columbus Chaos better be ready for it. They better be ready uh, for a tough physical game against the St. Louis Slam. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not, slam, I'm not joking, Mark. This is not a joking matter. Not this, joking. this is what St. Louis is all about. Even uh, Taylor Hay, when we talked to her, it's like they're committed, right? They're ready to go. When they're, they set their, their standards up to go, uh, so I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, Columbus can't win here. All I'm saying is St. Louis's record in terms of standard and coming back off of a year off is usually very detrimental to everybody else. <laughs> it's like it's always yeah. not a good thing. Uh, so if you're Minnesota in week two, they know that's a tough battle. They they know what they're all about. If you're Derby City, this is going to be one of your biggest tests of the year right, to prove to you even that you belong in D2. And it's, it's literally what it is. And then if you're Boston, this is what they're looking forward to, right? This is what we all wanted. The slam, 
first a first WFA, WFA champion, multi-time Division II champion, taking on what we consider probably the best football team on the planet, right? I mean, we, May 14th, <laughs> that is, uh, you can circle it. That's where we want to go. That's where we want to be. Uh, and even every, every slam player, every renegade player is looking forward to that matchup. And then you get Minnesota and then you get Derby. So St. Louis, it's not going to be easy for them, but given their track record from the past and given their successes, um, everybody on the schedule in the St. Louis schedule uh, has to watch out for a very gritty, competitive, offensive, and very tough uh, St. Louis stand, uh, slam team that's always been competitive. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, if they come out, if, if they, you know, they might finish three and three, yet still be one of the toughest teams in the league. You know what I'm saying? Um, oh yeah. And it, certainly, I have it circled on my calendar. Um, you know, I know Boston has been wanting to play St. Louis. You know, like all competitive teams, they want to play against the toughest teams that they can find out there. And St. Louis is one of those teams that they, they just haven't had that opportunity to get them on their schedule to play them. I, I think the last team, uh, last time that a St. Louis team or that the slam played team from Boston was like, I don't know, 14 years ago, 15 years ago, it was against the mass mutiny. So that's like two iterations ago for Boston women's football. And like a couple of leagues ago, okay, we've been in the WFA and we were in the IWFL before that. But that game was in the NWFA. So it's like a whole generation of football players have passed since these two, you know, franchises have played each other. And, you know, in that time, both of these franchises have racked up wins. They've um, uh, solidified their legacies with championships. And um, now we finally get to see them to, you know, um, tee off. And um, really looking forward to this game. Mark, a key point, May 7th, you get a bye week to get ready for the champs. That, my friend, is relaxation at its best. And again, I'll get two fresh teams going at each other. So that's going to be great. Right. That, Good job on the yeah, schedule. Yeah, that, that's, that's a fortuitous little break there for the slam. Um if I look at the Boston schedule, I know that they, the Boston has a bye week in the first week, and then they just they play six straight games and they have a bye week in the last week. So by the time St. Louis is getting them, they'll have faced uh, three pro-level p- opponents before they even face the slam. So it uh, could make for an interesting game. It will make for an interesting game. If you're Derby, shout-out to you, Derby, Thelma out there, for wanting to go up against one of the better historical teams in the WFA. So shout out to Derby City for wanting to clash with St. Louis. Absolutely. Iron sharpens iron. That's that's what that matchup is is going to be about. All right. Uh, we finish up with Tampa Bay. The Inferno, unfortunately, did not make uh, a, you know the season with the playoff mode with all that that happened. So uh, they do they went up against Boston. They didn't go any further than that. But they had a good season, so they played you know good playoff good playoff standing with uh, beating D.C. and getting to that, that final against uh, Boston before, you know, going to the national championship, which is the Renegades. But uh, if you're the Inferno at this point, 
your nemesis, you're pretty much in the Florida coast for most of the year. So that means uh, your biggest rival is going to be D.C. Could it be a detriment again for them? Not so battle-tested? You know, I, I was thinking the same thing as, as I was looking at their schedule and writing out my notes, Oscar. Um, you know, I mean, they are a good team. They did go 6-0 and in the regular season last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't have a highly competitive schedule. And although they face uh, D.C. in the regular season, which is, which is good, uh, still um, they only face two teams from outside the area. And they only leave the state of Florida once to play a game against D.C. So, you know, I, I understand for scheduling purposes, you know, it's convenient. Um, but if, if Tampa Bay is to, um, you know, improve, I really think you've got to find a way to get them stronger competition. Now, that's not, not a knock against you know, Miami or Jacksonville, um, you know, those are, those are teams that historically have been competitive with Tampa Bay. Uh, they're, some, they're more competitive for Tampa Bay than I, I think, you know, uh, the Wave Runners would be, for example. But Tampa Bay's got to get out there. They've they got to get around and play some of the tougher teams. If, if they just stay in Florida, man, they're, they're, they're not really going to get any better. They're, they're not going to they're not going to get to the next level. That's what I'm saying. That's the key right there for it as well. Um, so that's the only detriment I think for them is they, if, even if they run the table, they're going to run into uh, Boston again or DC or Pittsburgh. And that's going to be a big test, you know, in round one as an example uh, and whether they can yeah. overcome that. So that's uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that we would have to look at at this point, not to say that they're not able to get there. It's just, when you get to the playoffs, uh, that's been kind of like their Achilles heel, right? Can't get over the hump. Yeah, I mean, sadly, that's been the story for the Florida football teams, um, mm-hmm. you know, basically for 15, 20 years. You know, they, they play the season out in Florida, and then, you know, whoever happens to be the winner, you know, it, it's been Tampa Bay, it's been Jacksonville. But once they've gotten out of Florida – they've gotten crushed in the first round by teams like Chicago, you know, or DC mm-hmm. or, you know, Atlanta before. So we read that book, you know, a hundred times. I don't want to read that book again, <laughs> you know, no, Change no. It it's, 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 yeah. The pages are brittling, right? We need a brand new chapter, uh, especially in that, in yeah. that realm. So for sure. I yep. think the only, uh, the only successful team out of that whole realm is uh, the anarchy that's come out and, and won a championship out of that. So if you want to just put yeah. it out there, you know what I mean? That's right. And, you know, although, you know, we're, they're not in the pro set, you know, they, they have moved up to Division Two, So um, um, so that's good. Just as Tampa Bay has moved up from Division Two to uh, the pro division, that's all, that's all great and fine. Um, but, um, you know, you got to keep moving forward. <laughs> and that's what, we are, that's what we're going to talk about. So broke it down. Right here, looking forward to the rosters, and that will change, obviously, our opinion, some of these matchups that are coming up in terms of whether they're tough or not, like we just mentioned here in the last uh, 40 minutes or so. But overall, pretty competitive matchups. We got East versus West, 
If you look at the, uh, the standings on the other side, Arlington, Cali War, no, no strangers to each other. Minnesota, Arlington, no strangers to each other. St. Louis, Minnesota. Uh, so uh, pretty competitive on the outside. So the only, uh, the only uh, blemish that we had was what uh, we need the Mustangs to be elite again. They need to get, it on, get on the radar, and it'll make this whole you know, uh, west side a lot more competitive. On the other side, it's going to be a dogfight. Right, Mark? It's just constant dogfight. You got Boston, D.C., Detroit, Pittsburgh, Tampa. It's going to be a dogfight on the other side. And uh, given uh, the champs, the top, the cream of the crop, everybody chasing them, uh, like I said, that schedule for them is intense, if you want to just use that word. So, but they're looking forward to it. They don't, they, don't bow, they don't bow down to anybody. And everybody's going to have to bring in their A game, especially against them. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be a very good season. I, I, I think it, it's sort of like the best config, configuration of, of teams in the WFA for quite a few years now. And um, the schedule is, I think, being constructed a, a bit more conscientiously, more thoughtfully, so that we see some good matchups that allow um, for um, interesting a broadcast, you know, if, if they can get the technical side of it um, straight, uh, it allows for it allows for teams to get better. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm pretty excited about uh, this season in the WFA's pro division. So my feedback would be: How will Nevada fare? That's one question, right? How will Nevada fare mm-hmm. at this level? Uh, what will D.C. look like as PAC maintain their impact from the last two years and finally make a dent into the real playoffs, right? Is Cali War the same team that we've always known, right? We know the champs yep. are the champ. There's no question there. Minnesota, can they finally reach the next level and go deeper into it, you know, and take down the big, the big kahuna here? Uh, Nevada, you know, how will they fare? Pittsburgh, the return, we have no idea what they're going to look like at this point in terms of roster. St. Louis, we know what they're all about from their past and their history and their success. Uh, The Inferno, we just said here, whether they'll be battle-tested to get to the playoffs. So there you go, broken down, WFA Pro Division One. It's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to seeing how these things pan out, see if we get answers to some of those questions. And, um, and uh, we'll see if there are any surprises. Um, that's always really the kind of the, the funnest part for me watching women's football, or not so much the things that I have anticipated, but the things that I didn't. So um, now we've gone through the WNFC and the WFA uh, Pro Division, and, um, and now I just can't wait for them to take a field. Now, now we've got to wait. <laughs> It's going to be exciting. We've got, what, 90 days, almost 180 days to go, and should be interesting to see how that works out. So we're going to break down WFA Division Two next week on 409 exclusively. We'll break it down. We're talking about, you know, Nebraska, Valkyrie, with Portland fighting Shockwake, Seattle Spartans, Mile High Blaze, Austin Outlaws, the Houston Energy, Tri-State, Tri-State Warriors, Jack Dixie Blues, the Wolves, the return of the New York Wolves, Derby City upgraded to D2, the Champs from D3, Miami Fury, Baltimore Nighthawks, and the Columbus Chaos. So 
We're going to break, break everything down there. And then we're going to probably break down Division Three in about three scopes <laughs> or three podcasts because it is so, so huge that we might have to break it down. But we're not going to break down every team schedule. We're only going to highlight the top-tier teams from last year and break down their schedule that way because it's just, it's just endless and we don't have three hours like Joe Rogan does. <laughs> I think that's uh, very sensible, and I'm looking forward to all of that. All right, Mark. Thanks, sir. Uh, it's going to be a great, uh, you know, a podcast next week as break down D two because they're as competitive as D one as well. So we're looking forward to the you know drivers in the matchup. So, all right, guys, that was it. Uh, two hours gone by. Wow, it goes by pretty fast. One hour with the Hall of Famer and the salty one broken down the wild card NFL scene plus the divisional round, and right here with your the oracle of information, the uh, backseat coach Mark Simone. Breaking down WFA Pro Division 2022. So I'm excited, Mark. I don't know. I'm giddy for this uh, WFA season to kick off, especially with all the schedules that we just gone over. Yeah, I mean, so much, uh, so much action happening on the socials, uh, s- schedules, and uh, all kinds of awesome news. Um, we're we're just gearing up once again for uh, a brand new year. All right, so you guys know the drill. Go to the hub, bub, and that's uh, Mark's little theme now. Go to the hub, bub. That's what I'm <laughs> going to use now. You know the drill. Hang out, facebook.com, forward Get the lowdown of everything that's going on in the sport before you get here on Tuesdays. Uh, thank you for everybody subscribing and downloading the uh, podcast 407 with Steve Guinan. It was really awesome. We had, over, uh, I think, over 600 downloads uh, on just one platform, so I don't know what the other platforms are like, but... Appreciate everybody downloading it. Uh, very informative. We are the Troopers. Uh, perfect season documentary as well. And if you missed any of our podcasts, check out some of our most popular podcasts, 393 with the great Lindsay Cash of X-League. Also, the 399 with uh, Lindsay Carangelo from Hail Mary Book. Steph Jackson from NFL Flag. 38, Tori Petri. Uh, also, 384, Grace Cooper. 372 with Gina Magana and Rick Rasmussen. And the uh, always Hall of Famer, 375, the always talented Sammy Grishoffi. So check it out, you guys. Download. Thank you for subscribing. We'll catch you here for 409 as we break down WFA Division Two schedules. Plus, we're talking NFL Divisional Round. So, Mark, we're out. That's it. We're out. Night, Oscar. Is the fastest growing daily fantasy sports site in America. You get fun, easy to play contests with cash prizes featuring your favorite players. Monkey Night Fight, daily fantasy sports for the rest of us. Sign up now and get an instant match on your first deposit up to $50.